Um, can you get a, a Bible from your table or grab your Bible out if you've got one? If you've never owned a Bible, and steal one from the table. Steal it allowed in church. And uh, please take a Bible home. That is yours. Uh, that is the story of God. And uh, I wouldn't be speaking unless I was using it. And so that is where we're starting today. Page 815 to be precise. In a book called Ephesians in the New Testament. Um, The passage we're going to live in today, um, I didn't expect to be teaching on um, when I first started thinking about this talk. In fact, I I wrote a completely different talk and uh, then changed it. Um, When it comes to being a magnetic church, um, in the way that we do social action, which is what we're going to have a look at today, that is like through loving those that get the hardest deal, both in the world but also in our society and down our streets and even in our city, I haven't actually chosen a very obvious story from scripture. We're actually looking in the book of Ephesians, and um, this is written by a bloke called Paul. Um, he was like uh, a major leader in when Christianity started as a movement, essentially. So he wrote a lot of the books and uh, letters that you'll read in the second half of the Bible, like the, the New Testament. Um, and so he, he, uh, he, got, he kind of helped... The DNA that we still live in now as a movement, Paul helped establish that in the way he taught and spoke to early church communities, gatherings of people that were on the journey of following Jesus and finding out more about him, a little bit like this today. And um, Paul is talking to a local church community, or in fact a bunch of them, in a place called Ephesus. And uh, so we're going to look at chapter three, and then I'll explain why this is actually about being a magnetic church for those most in need in our society. Because on first reading, I understand it is not the obvious one to have gone for. But check this, this is an absolute belter, actually. So in a way, I don't need to preach, I just read this. Starting with verse 16. This is how Paul kind of prays for the church community that he's talking to. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him that be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If God were to answer Paul's prayer that he prays for the Ephesians, in us today as G2, but in fact in the church that makes up lots of different expressions in York, We would truly be a magnetic community, a magnetic church. If Paul's prayer that we would be filled to all the measure of fullness of the love of God, if that could be answered instantaneously, almost like flicking a switch and suddenly you're it. You are filled with all the fullness of God. If if just by me speaking out those words, I then made it so, job done. Church Magnetic Kingdom come, earth changed. End of story, end of talk. I've prayed it, it's happened. We are the fullness of God, just like that. But the reason we're looking at this prayer isn't because of the amazing prayer that Paul prays, but because of the clues that he gives us into how he envisions that answer. It's the how behind his prayer for immeasurably more that I want to look at today, because that 
overflows into every bit of our lives, including how we love those most in need. It's the application that we need to really wrestle with today. And actually, the key comes in the last sentence. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I imagine that as I was reading that, for some of you, if you've been brought up in church culture, or you've been following Jesus for a while, or you've been around a cell group or cluster or any kind of church-led thing for too long, you'll actually be quite familiar with what I read, what Paul prays. There will be some uh, classic moments of quotation for you in there, particularly in the last sentence. Now, maybe it's just my issue, but I seem to have been having a bit of a grammatical error uh, with how I've been handling this passage up until now, up until I went to really dig into it for this. And um, as I say, it could just be a personal issue because my parents are English teachers. So it might be that I'm particularly sensitive to the fact that if I don't respect the grammar, that's a sin. Um, so I'm sorry if this is group therapy and you're all fine and you all get it, but on the off chance that the rest of you have made the mistake I've been making, I actually have been ignoring, in, in my, uh, uh, my translation of the Bible, I've been ignoring everything past the first comma. In fact, if truth be told, in the last sentence of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, I read the first comma as a full stop. The thing that I quote time and time again when uh, I'm trying to round off a nice prayer, when I'm trying to envision the church before we all go out into our weeks, uh, or just really when I'm not quite sure what to say, is I pray, and maybe it's just me, but maybe you've also heard this. Lord, I pray that you would do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Full stop. In fact, that's the sort of verse that we would... uh, In fact, uh, just Google immeasurably more, and you will see the images. You will see that we've got some of them actually. Some of the cheesy images that you get, where honestly, we are. Where is it? There they are. Um, I googled immeasurably more, and most of the Google images stop at the comma. In fact, it is the sort of scripture that I'd put on my mirror, just to remind myself of a morning. The Lord can do immeasurably more than I ask or imagine. Immeasurably more. God can do immeasurably more. Except I keep missing the comma. And past the comma comes the difference. Because what it actually says is now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So today I want to reattach what happens past the comma because honestly that is going to make all the difference to how we love those most in need in our community. If we're going to talk about loving, um, scripture often refers to the poor, which actually is quite an awkward label if you were to actually call someone that today. But if you're going to refer to those most in need, economically, most vulnerable, the, the people that in the world terms get to the bottom of the food chain every single time. They get trodden on. But in the kingdom of God, in the, in the way where God rules, would actually be celebrated. They'd be like at the top table of the wedding, Right? If we're going to seriously talk about being a magnetic church that so models the way of God that we cannot help but help those most vulnerable, downtrodden, and in need, we have, we have to invite the presence of God into this according to his power at work within us. Now, just before the famous last word sentence, you can look back in the scripture, verses 17 to 19, Paul gives us a little bit more of a clue. He teases up to the final sentence, right? 
And he basically tells us, he shows us that the power of God is something to be grasped, to be taken hold of, and to be lived out, to be practiced, not just be thought about. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. I think one of the key things Paul does in Ephesians 3 is put skin on the power of God. He, he takes the theory, but he pushes past it into practice. He gets our hands dirty. Paul, Paul keeps saying, and it's a massive challenge, particularly because I've just started like studying about God. It's a massive challenge because when you actually read, he keeps going, knowledge is one thing, but to know God, you've got to push past knowledge into living this thing out. You can't just know that God loves those most in need. The way that you will really understand that is live it. You can't just read the Good Samaritan story, live in it, be it. You can't just know that God cares about the people around you and he does love your neighbour. The way you will really understand the love of God is putting down the book and walking out the door and saying, if that is so, if that's what he says, what does this genuinely look like? And the way you'll experience it is as you're on the move. The knowing the love of God surpasses knowledge. It sounds like a contradiction in terms, but that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Push past head knowledge, live out of, live out of genuine experience. If, if this God is real, he is to be experienced. And this is why we can't split the last sentence. This is why we can't stop at the comma. But this is where it gets uncomfortable. Because as soon as you realise that I can't just know God loves those most in need, I have to embody the love of God to those most in need. As soon as I know that I don't just pray for the immeasurably more, but it is according to something going on in my life that I'll see that happen, annoyingly, I am still in the equation. I'll tell you what I'm guilty of. I am guilty of praying for the immeasurably more cloud. I kind of picture that there is some sort of mystical cloud of the presence of God that when I say, Lord, you will do more you know, immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. In my head, I'm thinking some sort of alien force field will at some point descend upon our meagre efforts as humans because we cannot, we cannot do anything but for the immeasurably more cloud to step in and somehow transform all things, turn all things for glory. Suddenly, people will come to know Jesus via the mystical immeasurably more cloud. Somehow, everyone will come to know the love of God via the mystical immeasurably more cloud. I won't actually need to mention God or invite someone for dinner because via the mystical immeasurably more cloud, they'll just know. And it's not true. There isn't a mystical, immeasurably more cloud. I am guilty of praying for it, though. When I give a donation to food bank, I can pray for the mystical, immeasurably more cloud to somehow take the tins and the loo roll and see people come to know Jesus, rather than show up and face-to-face meet the people that cannot get their basics in their cupboards and be the immeasurably more of them when I tell them God loves them and I show them because I've actually looked them in the eye rather than just pray that an out-of-body experience would happen, which isn't what the scriptures say. 
Even, even for the little girl, Senan, who I sponsor through Compassion in Kenya, I'm guilty of praying for the immeasurably more canal for her, rather than putting pen to paper and writing to her far more often than I do, to show her that love has skin on, to show her that there is a real, actual person, reach out and touchable, put pen to paper person, who can cheer her life on and is backing her and praying for her, rather than seeing a standing order go out and then pray the immeasurably more cloud does the rest. I'm guilty of that all the time. Praying for the immeasurably more cloud and never bringing it home. To be honest, it's because it's safer. It is far more comfortable to my schedule and my bank balance and my social life if I pray for an immeasurably more cloud and I take myself out of the answer to that prayer. And yet the full sentence tells us something different. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. The awkward answer to the prayer is that we are still in the equation. Because however bonkers it seems as a strategy, God actually chose people as his vehicle on the earth to share his love and his power. It is not going to come from a cloud. It's you, it's me, it's now, it's us. That's why in Ephesians 3, Paul talks about Jesus makes a home in us. He makes his dwelling in our hearts. When you come to follow Jesus, when you invite God to be God rather than you be God of your life, he moves in. His power and his presence move in. That's why the church is called Christ's body. We're not... Christ's prayer team that wait for Christ to do something else somewhere else. We are the movement of God in action, in flesh, hands, feet, eyes, ears, lungs, the way we spend our tea times and the way we spend our money. I wonder how our prayers might change if we finish the sentence. I wonder what this would actually look like if we didn't just trip off the tongue, Lord, thank you that you do imagine more than all we ask or imagine, but we kept ourselves in the scriptures and went according to your power that is at work within us today in this meeting, in our cell group, in the way I go to work. I just want to encourage you, we have actually seen some amazing immeasurably more moments already in this community that would show me signs of us already being a magnetic church when it comes to social action, when it comes to, basically, every time there's a movement of God's kingdom, God's way, I expect social action. I expect those that the world would spit out and leave to the sidelines. I'd expect them front and centre in the kingdom of God. There's already signs of it. So we're not starting from scratch here. For example, straight away, loads of you remember this, food bank... Last Christmas, I think it was, but basically, anytime we have a food bank appeal, we do see God doing measurably more with the little that we give. Particularly, I think of the Christmas where we decided as a faith goal we'd try and get 200 Christmas presents for food bank. And God doubled it. And the amazing thing about that was the answer to the immeasurably more wasn't a mystery cloud that dropped presents from the sky. It's because people in our community genuinely started sharing the idea with their neighbours that don't know Jesus. And people's workplaces and streets and housemates all went out in force, bought Christmas presents, wrapped them and doubled how much we could genuinely um, give away to the food bank and bless people because it was magnetic. Because people who didn't yet know Jesus saw the people that know Jesus and went, hold on, you're mobilised for good. You're mobilised for people that don't have. Well, I want in. 
God did immeasurably more, but he did it through us. Even the Sunday kickabout that we have going on, which was massive today, there was like enough for two full teams, it was good. I mean, Dave's tackers are appalling, but one off the trying, Dave. Hey, good lad. Good. <laughs> um, that's a bit of an asking prayer for our immeasurably more. You know, for those of you that haven't been around for like as long, we've actually been talking about and praying for the town hall community for, for years, not really knowing how as a church... How do we be the love of God to this community when we're basically all a very scattered community that come together for these moments and they scatter all around the city? How do we, how do we genuinely show people that um, are often unemployed or the kids that are mucking about because they don't really have anything to do, how do we genuinely like, be brilliant mates with them and good news to them? The immeasurably more that happened wasn't a mystery glory cloud that changed the street. It was the council calling us the immeasurably more of God has astro boots on and keys. And they gave us the keys to the astro so that we could genuinely make friends with the guys that hang out around Burnham all the time. The immeasurably more of God is very tangible. It's got skin on and it happens every single week. Bees and projects are also another way that we can genuinely see the power of God at work within us do immeasurably more. Bees and being a charity in York that basically any cell group, family, community, the youth, any of us could contact them and say, can you put me in touch with the people most in need in our area and can we um, serve them, can we bless them? For example, paint their kitchen, clean their garden, um, sort out a Christmas hamper for them, right? Um, it's through a Bees and project years ago that I have friends that aren't my class, that aren't my education, that aren't in my bubble, essentially, my comfort zone. That's the only reason I've got mates that live in a completely different bit of town from a totally different background, but I'm genuinely friends with them. That's the reason why. Because we started by stripping a kitchen years ago. But the thing is with the immeasurably more of God is you don't just go over the one-hit wonder and paint a kitchen and say, Lord, do immeasurably more with what we've done as if we've left the presence of God on the walls, which you probably haven't. I'm not great. But the immeasurably more of God, according to his power at work within us, might mean that, yes, you paint their kitchen, but you look at the people whose house it is in the eye and say, what can I pray for for you? How are you doing today? You show up and you fill their cupboards because you've realised they haven't actually got that much. You keep calling in every week to check on how they're doing, and you actually make friends. That's the immeasurably more of God, because your life will look different. Sometimes your family tea times will look remarkably more chaotic were you to embody the immeasurably more of God. I wanted to remind you of those stories because they've already happened in our community and the effects are still going on. But if it's immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, I can now ask for and imagine that because it's happened. So there's got to be more. Another key thing I want to point out in the last sentence to you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, one of the biggest tensions and struggles I, I have with this is that I often uh, make it about my power and my strength. So not only does our answer, do our answer to prayer have a body, but we still need to recognise whose power it is that we're talking about. Because honestly, on my own, and I've tried, I can't actually change someone's life, turns out. With all my best efforts and my most wise million thoughts and... All those times that I'll um, give up my weekend, or my money, and all my time, and my energy. Actually, if it's not God's power at work within me, 
Ultimately, I'm giving them just, I'm giving them a nice set of support systems, and don't get me wrong, I call upon everything our society has. You know, like, I will go to the homeless guys, I will, um, the hostel kind of community, and work out how do you get someone on the right track with the right benefits. I don't know, so I, I will go and ask all the local resources available. You know, don't be stupid, like, use what our society has in place. But if that is all I offer them and all my best ideas, it doesn't change a life, it doesn't change a heart, it doesn't actually um, see somebody free and full of the presence of God. And I burn out. If it's my power in me, not God's, I get tired. And then eventually, not only can I not help anyone else in need, I'm the one in need. I'm the one that can't get out of bed. I'm the one that's had enough. I'm the one that quits. In this weird kingdom economy, because... Because we're supposed to, according to this scripture, experience the fullness of God as we live through, in, and out of the fullness of God. When you love those most in need, not only should the person most in need know more of Jesus, you should know more of Jesus. When you are joining in with what God's already doing and loving the downtrodden, I expect you to love God more at the end of it. I expect you to be more full of the presence of God. Why? Because it's his power at work within us. So when you get up to the, the sort of God activity that he's in the business of saying yes to all the time, which will definitely look the opposite to what the world would say, that's a sensible way to spend your schedule. If you're loving those most in need, you will see more of God. But it's not in your own strength. And it is, it does mean, because it's to do with God, I will sometimes ask him, God, should I spend my weekend like that? And sometimes he's like, go for it. And sometimes, honestly, he's like, no, go to bed. Like, sleep. You, because I'm not the one that does the saving, right? That's why it's got to be a God power thing. We've got to actually be in dialogue with them. How can I best help this person? When do I go and when do I stay? When do I bring them home for a meal? What does that look like, God? Help me. Gavin Frere and I spent two hours and got very... Well, we didn't get very far at all in two hours worth of debating this. I kind of explained to them everything that I felt God was saying through this passage, and by the end of that, we got into this massive debate, and there are no clean-cut answers. The reason why um, I'm finishing talking now, and we've got loads of time, is because um, we want you to have a bit of a chance to go where we went. Now, um, that isn't looking for clean-cut answers, but it's genuinely starting to say, oh man, how does this affect my life? Because... Um, it's quite uncomfortable as soon as you get past a brilliant, we are God's immeasurably more. And then I'll go, yeah, what does that look like on Monday? What does that look like on your weekends, your precious, precious weekends? What does that look like when you go home for Christmas? That takes a much bigger conversation. It's one thing to say, um, cool, let's do a Beeson project as a cell, and then we can feel good about ourselves for the next six months. Because we went and helped somebody of a different economic background to us. Brilliant. It's another thing to say, how do I adjust my life so that I'm actually the kind of person for the rest of my life that has not neglected the downtrodden in the world? How do I, how do I get out of the bubble? And like I said, there's some great features, but honestly, look around your cell group, look around your dinner table, look around your friendship group, and look around the room. How are we doing at being a magnetic church for those most in need and those people that don't look like us, sound like us, and have the same backgrounds as us? How are we actually doing, church? That's why we debated for two hours and are still wrestling with it now, right? 
that's quite uncomfortable when you look around, and it is important that we talk about it. So we're going to begin the conversation now, and I'll tee you off with a couple of style questions, and then we'll pitch in as we go. Because the immeasurably more has skin on. The power and presence of God has a vehicle. Jesus has a body. It is us. And the way we're going to be a magnetic church that looks like the kingdom of God, the way of God's world, means it will look illogical and also incredibly irresistible. And at the centre of what we do will be the people that the world would say they're not going to get you anywhere and they're to no advantage for you to be friends with. So ignore them and climb up the ladder. We're, we're switching the whole thing around. So just to tee you off, you've heard that God uses people, uses you to bring, bring his power and love and immeasurably more to the world. What is your first reaction to that? What are you thinking having just heard some of that? Secondly, Name, what are some of your concerns even about beginning to engage with this? And what are some of the things that are quite exciting about realising actually you are not disembodied from the big prayers? Yeah, we've got plenty of time, haven't we? Loads of time. <laughs> Loads of time to discuss this. Um, if you don't know the people on your tables, we want to give you a chance to say hello. Please feel free to grab a coffee. Caffeine. Uh, or tea, uh, and Miriam and Gavin and I are going to feed in some questions as we chat this through. We have loads of time uh, to start talking about this. And we also, can I just name, we don't want us to be like a guilt culture. Like, it is uncomfortable, but we're not here going, oh, you've got to feel really guilty because uh, how many different friends do you have different economic backgrounds? That's not what this is about. This is about um, starting a conversation um, not making you feel guilty in your seat. We're only living, giving you time to talk because we spent two hours getting annoyed at each other in really helpful ways because we actually went there. So can I encourage you? I know small talk's easier. That's not what we're about. So go in. Go really in with this. Like, who have you ever seen this in church? What does that look like? What does that look like for you? What don't you want to give up? Really go for it because it is worth the conversation. Have a chat and we'll chat again in a bit.